Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today, I was, I was at youth camp all week, so I've asked Pastor Aaron to take 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Give him a big hand as he comes up and shares the word this morning. All right, well, um, I want to just uh, tag on to what Pastor Sean uh, just said there regarding the Shannons, uh, because there is a uh, scriptural precedent to the idea of supporting people uh, that, are, that are far away, building the kingdom, spreading the kingdom of God, spreading the gospel. Uh, obviously, there's a scriptural precedent to going and doing it yourself, but there's also a precedent to supporting people uh, that do that because we're going to actually be looking at that today. It's kind of cool how that all worked out. Um, but uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was here in Corinth, I say here because that's what we're talking about, he was being supported by the church in Philippi, by the church in Thessalonica. And so he wasn't with them. He was far off, but they were sending support. They were uh, praying for him. They were actually supporting his needs and what he was doing. So it's right there in the Bible. Now, um, before we get going, I want to do something kind of like the last time I spoke. I felt like we were supposed to do this. I feel like we're supposed to do it again. So you don't need to stand up or anything. Just put your hands out like this, if you would, please. And we're going to pray. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for the truth and the power of your word. And Lord, we right now, we make an intentional decision. We make a choice to put ourselves in a posture of receiving, of listening, of openness, Lord God. Lord, in this chapter, you say challenging things through your word to us. And so, God, we say we're ready to be challenged, Lord. We don't have closed ears. We have open ears. We don't have closed eyes. We have open eyes. And we're ready to listen, and we're ready to receive, and we're ready to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, this whole series has been really cool. I, I've really just liked it and enjoyed it and felt like it's been, uh, you know, impactful for a lot of people. Uh, you guys know, those of you who've been with us for a while, that it's not the way we always do things. It's maybe not our, our normal routine for Pastor Sean to go through an entire book of the Bible. Uh, a lot of times there's a series and it's more topical. But this has been really awesome in a lot of different ways. And before we got into this series, uh, he asked me if I wanted to take one of the chapters. And I was like, yes, I do. I want chapter 15. And uh, I'd already been reading through and studying through chapter 15 for some other things I was working on. And so I was already keyed up and excited about chapter 15. And um, so, I, you know, on my phone, I've got a little uh, section in my notes where just every time I kind of get something about that, I kind of put that in there and it's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm getting really excited about chapter 15. But then a couple weeks ago, he said, hey, would you be willing to take chapter 9? Because that's going to be the week I'll be in camp. It would really help me out um, if you took chapter 9. And I was like, okay, I'll take chapter 9. And uh, just to be completely open and honest with you, the, going into this, um, 
I, I, was, I was willing to do it and happy to do it, but I just wasn't all excited and, and pumped up about it like I was for chapter 15. But then a, a couple days ago, uh, God started showing me this, uh, this message that kind of weaves itself, this thread that weaves itself through chapter 9 and, and what's really being said here. And it started getting me really excited. So I do believe that uh, there's something that God wants to speak into your heart, into your life today. And it's challenging, okay? Um, I think that it's very relevant for us in the day and the age that we live, in the culture that we live. Um, This is kind of a call up, and it's a challenge. And so uh, I like that because I don't want to stay in the same place. I don't want to stay doing what I'm doing now. I want the upward call of God. And so that's what we're going to see here today. Now, before we read verse 1, just remember this. What we're talking about here is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, right? This is just a letter. This whole 1 Corinthians, book of 1 Corinthians is just a letter. And the chapter divisions came later on. So it's, it's, this is a continuation of what we've been reading. And the reason I say that is if you have read ahead and read chapter 9, it kind of looks like Paul has changed the subject, right? Last week, Pastor Sean was up here and he was talking about in chapter 8 how, you know, we have certain rights and we have certain freedoms. And there are times when it's better for us to lay down those rights and freedoms in the name of love and in the purpose of spreading the gospel, building the kingdom. Uh, And so what I want to do is I want to back up into chapter 8 just a little bit and read the last part of that and then have a running start into chapter 9. And although, like I say, although it looks like he's going a different direction, you're going to see that Paul is really building on the same concept. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10 says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes your brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So again, the idea, we have certain rights, we have certain freedoms in Christ, but there are times when out of love and out of a desire to spread the gospel effectively, we willingly lay down those rights and freedoms. Okay, continuing on chapter 9, Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? (laughs) Let me stop right there, right there. Think about who's saying this. This is Paul, right? When I think of an apostle, I instantly think of Paul. Paul is like the apostle of apostles, right? I mean, when you open the back of your Bible, you probably have a map there 
that shows all of Paul's missionary journeys, all of the churches that he planted and watered and, and, and lived with and built and raised up leaders and led people to the Lord. And then, of course, you have the whole little thing about how Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And so here's Paul in defense mode saying, hey, am I not an apostle? So instantly, as I start reading chapter 9, I'm like, what is going on at this church? What is going on here? I mean, this series, the subtitle of this series is, go ahead and put that slide up for the First Corinthians series. It's like, good news for a messed up church. So something is up in Corinth for Paul to have to be in defense mode. All right, back at it. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other, other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul is, is laying down and establishing the right that he has as a minister to be supported by the church. I pointed out in the, in the first service, you know, Pastor Sean and Becca have a huge garden. And if, if you've been on Facebook, and you may have seen some of the bountiful harvest, right? And how wrong would it be if their kids were out there, you know, sweating and working in the garden to make it successful and never, ever had the right to, to have a tomato or to have a, uh, you know, an ear of corn or something like that? So that's what Paul's saying right here. So he's establishing that he has a right as an apostle to be supported by the church. Um, so let's keep reading. Uh, chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox whether, um, when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. <clears throat> for if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? I love the way Paul thinks because he's systematic and he's logical, and I like that. And what he's doing is... He's first laying a foundation for his defense or his argument that, listen, I do have a right. Not only, not only is it common sense that if I'm laboring among you, I should be able to benefit from the fruits of my labor. He's also pointing out in the, in the Mosaic law where there's a precedent for that. And so he's making this defense. And then He's going to show you how he lays that right down. But I think it's ridiculous in this particular church that Paul's authority is being questioned. 
and that they're questioning uh, whether or not he is a legitimate apostle because they basically exist as a church because of the ministry of Paul. But so here he is, nonetheless, having to defend himself um, amongst these accusations. Now, here's, here's the point in the chapter where I want to start pulling out this thread that I believe is there um, that we're going to kind of follow through the whole rest of the chapter. And uh, what I think we can get out of this is, is simply this. Paul, he's a giant. He's epic. He's, he's the, like I said, he's the apostle of the apostles, right? He started all those churches. He wrote all those books of the Bible. God used him in such an incredible, incredible way. And a lot of times we look at somebody like Paul and we say, wow, look at that guy. I mean, he's like the elite of God's servants, right? I could never be like Paul. I mean, I think a lot of people think that when they look at Paul. But what this chapter is going to show us is it's going to show us how Paul operated, why he was successful, why he was effective, why God was able to use him the way that he did. Now, we don't all have the same call as Paul, but we can all serve God in the same way that Paul served God, with the same attitude. And, and so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to look at three keys to, to the effectiveness of Paul. I, like I was telling the first service, I was tempted to come up with some clever, you know, Paul's powerful preaching precepts or something like that. Let's just call it three keys to Paul's effectiveness. Okay, so number one, we're already kind of in the middle of it. Pastor Sean already spoke about it last week. Number one is deny yourself. Deny yourself. It is okay and sometimes prudent to sacrifice your rights and your freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Okay, so let's pick it up in uh, verse 12. Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me from my ground of boasting. So when I read this, and when I've read this in the past, the question that's come to my mind, and then I kind of just moved on without digging deeper, <laughs> was why? Why is Paul laying down this right? Because I can tell you he didn't lay down this right at other places. You know, a lot of times when I have just researched it a little bit, I've seen people say, well, Paul worked a day job because he didn't want to burden the church. But that's not the reason. So what is it? What's the reason? What is it about Corinth that makes Paul believe 
that he could be more effective if he didn't receive any support from them rather than them supporting him. And so what's happening is uh, he's discerning that something is amiss. Something is off at Corinth. You know, like we've been saying, it's kind of a messed up church. And he's seeing that something is off probably in the leadership and in the motivation. And so if you actually go to the second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, Paul goes into a little more depth about what is actually going on and what his reasons for not taking support from them are. So I want to look at that real quick. Jump ahead to 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 7. It says this, it says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do. And here is the reason right here. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Here's what's happening. In this church at Corinth, you've got guys who are standing up and saying, Hey, hey, I'm an apostle. And guess what, guys? Apostles get paid. So... Right here. And you know what? They're probably, most likely, the same group of people that Paul is defending himself against earlier on in in chapter 9. And so they're saying, and Paul, I'm not even sure if that guy's an apostle, but I'm an apostle. So pay me. That's what's happening. And Paul calls them false apostles, deceitful uh, brethren. And so what he's doing is, he's, Paul is saying, look, if you want to be an apostle, then you live like me. You live the way I have among you. Because I've lived here with you without receiving any support from you. So if you want to be an apostle, you do this too. So, so here's the, the bottom line is, Paul saw that in this particular situation, for the gospel to go forward, for there to be a pure representation of the gospel and to build this church, he needed to lay down a certain right or a freedom that he had. So we've see, we see that denying ourselves at certain times will get the gospel out there, will we'll give us an opportunity to love someone in a way that maybe we couldn't have before. And I think if you take everything that Pastor Sean Uh, taught us last week out of chapter 8, and you put it with what Paul is doing right here, you're going to see that this is one of the keys. This is one of the things that Paul does that sets him apart, that makes him unique among other people. 
So, number one, deny yourself. Now, number two, uh, let's read on a little bit ahead here, starting in verse 16. And we're going to look at the second one. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he's alluding a little bit right back there to denying himself. But what he's talking about in this little section right here, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul had an internal drive, an internal passion that burned in him, that he couldn't just sit on his hands and not preach the gospel. So number two is drive yourself. Drive yourself. Number one is deny yourself. Number two is drive yourself. You know, when you see someone come to the Lord, something should leap inside of you. I believe that anyone who has been uh, saved who has started following Jesus, who's, they've been, their spirit has been regenerated and they've become a new creation. I believe there is something innate in us that rejoices and just gets happy when we see somebody come to the Lord. There's a part of us that wants to see that happen. There's a part of us that wants to share the good news, that wants to support people who are sharing the good news. That's a part, that's not just an obligation that we have, that's really a part of who we are. And that desire and that drive to spread the gospel, to share the good news, is a sign of life and health in every believer. And it's a good test, because if you don't have that drive, and you don't have that desire, if you don't get excited when someone comes up here and dedicates their life to the Lord then you should search in your own heart and say, what's going on? God, give me a heart for people. Give me a burden for the lost. Give me a passion for people to come to you. I know that I need it. I know that I should have that. It's not there. Why is it not there? And so that should be a good litmus test to to be able to judge where you are. Uh, There should be something inside of us that compels us to share the gospel with people and support efforts that share the gospel. When you're, when you're at the grocery store in line, <laughs> there should be a part of you that says, I wonder what this person standing next to me, I wonder if they know Jesus. There should be a part of you that wonders about your next door neighbor. There should be a part of you that wants to bring someone to church or share the gospel with them. That should just be a part of who you are. It's an internal drive. And like I say, if you don't have it, then you should pursue it. One of the things that I pray regularly is, God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to love people the way you love people. I know that I have to go through this process of being transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can see people from God's perspective. So there's this internal drive. Paul keeps talking about it in verse 19. Let's keep going. Verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win 
Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. (laughs) Do you see the theme that Paul is bringing out in these few verses right here? Whatever it takes. If I'm talking, Paul, here's Paul is saying, if I'm talking to, to the Jews, then I'm looking for that common ground. If I'm talking to those under the law, if I'm talking to those outside the law, if I'm talking to those who are weak, I'm looking for that common ground. I'm looking for anything available and accessible to me to be as effective as possible in sharing the gospel. So Paul's attitude is, by, is I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I think we saw a really good example of that here this morning when we saw what the Shannons are doing in Ethiopia, what they're going to be doing in Turkey, by all means to save some. So, again, this goes back to that idea of there should be an internal drive inside of us. I know everybody... You know, we've all got a lot of stuff in life that we deal with, and there's, it's complicated, and there's lots of things going on. But there should be, underneath all of that, there should be this drive, this pull, this passion to spread the good news of Jesus. And hopefully, we're following that. And so, that by all means attitude of Paul uh, is something that we should all pursue. If you don't have that, again... Take time and seek the Lord and say, God, search me, know me, try me. See if there's something in my heart that needs to change because I don't have this passion and I don't have this drive that I need. All right, we're going to move on to number three. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the third key to being as effective as Paul is discipline yourself. So number one, we had deny yourself. Number two, we had drive yourself. And number three here, we have discipline yourself. Now, Paul is using this analogy of running a race, uh, which is a really great analogy. Um, But it's even more effective and relevant when you realize that in Corinth, there was um, an athletic event that happened, like the Olympics, and it was huge. It was a major, major event, so much so that Corinth was full of athletes who were constantly training, constantly preparing themselves for this event that would happen. In fact, uh, they say that if you go 
to the site of Corinth today, you can still see the ruins of this facility, the track, this place where this event took place. It was a major deal. So Paul is saying to these people, look, you guys know what it means to run in a race. You guys know what it means to discipline yourself, to get ready for an event like that. What I'm telling you is following Jesus, building the kingdom of God is like running the race. And the type of focus, the type of intentionality, the type of sacrifice, the type of discipline that you have to have for running a race, is, it's like that for following Jesus. So he uses that analogy of running a race. And actually, you see that come back again at the end of Paul's life when he's just getting ready to give his life for the Lord and be martyred. You see Paul going back to this analogy of running a race. In uh, 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so Paul goes back to this analogy of running a race, and he says, Okay, I finished it. I did it. I completed the course. You guys probably have heard uh, the story of Roger Bannister in the four-minute mile. This guy who, you know, people just, they believed that it was impossible to run a four-minute mile. And Roger Bannister did it. And there's a, I want to read you a little excerpt from a, uh, it's actually from a book review um, that was written about Roger Bannister and these two other guys And so let me just read this to you real quick. In a back issue of the Leadership Weekly newsletter, Gordon MacDonald says, Neil Bascom has written The Perfect Mile, in which he recounts the 1950s story of the pursuit of the four-minute mile by Roger Bannister, Wes Santee, and John Landy. In its earliest pages, Bascom writes, listen to this, all three runners endured thousands of hours uh, of training to shape their bodies and minds. They ran more miles in a year than many of us walk in a lifetime. They spent a large part of their youth struggling for breath. They trained week after week to the point of collapse, all to shave off a second, maybe two, during a mile race, the time it takes to snap one's fingers and register the sound. There were sleepless nights, and the training sessions were in rain, sleet, snow, and scorching heat. There were times when they wanted to go out for a drink or a date, and they knew they couldn't. Listen to this. They understood life was somehow different for them, that idle happiness eluded them. If they weren't training or racing or gathering the will required for these efforts, they were trying not to think about training or racing at all. What I hear Bascom saying is the men said a lot of no's in order to reach one huge yes that perfect mile. This is a picture of the disciplined life in which a purpose becomes so powerful that it is imposed on body and soul and controls virtually every thought and every ounce of energy in a person's life. What stood out to me so much when I read that the first time is they said a lot of no's in order to reach one huge yes. And I believe that for every one of us who professes to follow Jesus and has a desire to to step into the calling and the purpose for our life that God has for us, I believe there is a point 
where we have to decide, are we really going to go for it? Or are we going to settle for just a good, consistent, normal life? So these guys who pursued that perfect mile, they said a lot of no's to reach one huge yes. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so closely, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think laying aside the weight so that you can run the race, to me that sounds an awful lot like saying a lot of no's so that you can reach one huge yes. And it's going to look different to different people. This is not some etched in stone set of rules that people just have to abide by. It's not that at all. Pastor Sean uh, spoke last week about how laying down freedoms and rights may look different to different people in different situations. But here's the thing, and you know this is true. We are influenced by what we see. We're influenced by what we hear. We're influenced by the things that we allow into our life. And, you know, this, you know, this isn't some legalistic thing where you say, well, if you don't do this and this and this, then you're not a Christian or you're not going to heaven or anything like that. I had a guy that was a friend of mine a long time ago, and we were having this debate over this thing, and he said, if you are sitting in a rated R movie when Jesus comes back, you're not going. <laughs> and I was like, What? That's crazy. And I, and I didn't believe that, and I don't believe that. And you can, you can get all legalistic about, well, it's got to be this and this and this. But what Paul is saying is that there will come a time where if you decide, I really want to go for what God has for me. I really want to reach out and grasp my purpose, my calling, you know, the Bible calls it the upward call, then I will probably have to lay down other things in order to take a hold of that one main thing. So I may have to say some no's in order to reach one huge yes. It's not about rules and don't do this and don't do that. It's about I have set my sights on this one thing, and everything else has kind of just become meaningless. You know what I'm saying? And so that's something that we have to all seek the Lord about on our own. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Sean asked me to speak in March, and as I was preparing for that message, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me that week leading up to that Sunday, and he said, you can't talk about this stuff unless you're willing to live it. And from that moment, I made a lot of decisions to lay things down that weren't necessarily bad things. They really, they weren't bad things at all. They just weren't the one thing. And I decided, man, I want the one thing. I don't want God's plan for me and a bunch of other stuff. I just want God's plan for me. 
And so when we lay aside every weight to run the race that's set before us, that's what we're doing. So uh, this is, I believe, a type of discipline that sets people apart who have that Paul-like intensity. It, sets, it kind of defines people who are like Paul. They may not have, like I said, they may not have the same calling on their life that Paul had, but they have the same intensity. They're willing to deny themselves. They're willing to drive themselves. And they're willing to discipline themselves. So, <laughs> kind of my last final thought here is when you look at those three things, deny yourself, drive yourself, discipline yourself, really on the surface, honestly, it just doesn't sound like very much fun, right? I mean, we can all, we don't have to pretend. It doesn't sound like much fun. Deny myself, woo, that sounds like fun. Drive myself, discipline myself. So why is Paul harping on this? Why can't we just live a happy life and... Uh, What comes, comes along. Well, listen to Philippians 3, verse 8. This is my last verse. Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Actually, the word rubbish there is a much more, is a much stronger word than rubbish if you look up what it really means. And Paul's saying everything else is so meaningless and it's just, honestly, it's just garbage to me. I am just consumed with knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and telling people about Jesus. And that's, if I can use this term, that's the payoff. That's why He denies himself, drives himself, and disciplines himself. Because Paul is looking through a different lens. Paul is seeing this world from a different perspective. And when Paul looks out at the world, he's really seeing into eternity. But when someone sees eternity, when, you know, uh, some old revivalist I remember prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. When someone sees into eternity and sees this world in the context of eternity, it changes the way we feel and think about the things of this world. And so today, listen, this is my prayer. I, I believe that this is kind of like the parable of the sower, where Jesus said there's a guy and he just threw seed out and cast seed out all over, knowing that some seed would fall on stony ground, some on thorny ground, some on shallow ground, but some seed would fall on good ground and bear fruit. And I believe that there are some of you here today who God wants you to hear this. God wants you to respond to this, and he is calling you up into a more intentional, powerful life with him. So, What we're going to do is the band's going to, get, going to play one more song, but I want to pray right now. So let's, let's close our eyes. Father, oh God, we don't want anything less 
than what you have for us. Lord, right now, here in this place, in this time, we recognize that we have a purpose for our life. And that so many of the things that consume our time and our thought and our energy and our passion, those things are weights that you're just calling us to lay aside. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to people in this room that there is something so much more than what they're experiencing, that there is a purpose for their life. There is significance to their existence. And you have a plan for them, but it's going to take some no's in order to reach one huge yes. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, pull and draw these people to you, God. And we thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, for your awesome love and for your mercy that you pour out on our life. Lord, there's nobody like you and we just give you praise. Come on, let's stand up, everybody. Let's stand up. Lord, we give you praise right now. Come on, clap your hands. Your grace is amazing. Your love is incredible. We just bless your name. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.